0: From Interfaith Alliance, this is State of Belief Radio. I'm Alliance President Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch, broadcasting this week from New York City.
1: It's a lot of window dressing. It's a lot of masking. It's a lot of deception. Just straight up lying. Um, They're coming for everything.
0: With countless faith leaders and religious people taking up the work of supporting people facing sudden restrictions on reproductive choice since the abrupt fall of Roe v. Wade, the national organization Planned Parenthood is actively involved in supporting that outreach. Dora Muhammad is the new Associate Faith Outreach Director of Planned Parenthood and she'll be with us in the studio on this week's show.
2: I honestly believe that many of these leaders in the legislature, that part of their intent is to try to put the LGBT community back under a rock that they perceive them to be for many years or to leave the state even though that means driving out incredible talent and people with, with value to the state.
0: Sadly, the GOP-dominated North Dakota State Legislature is marching in lockstep with radically anti-LGBT lawmakers in states like Florida and Texas. Alarming religious rhetoric is always a part of this, and Interfaith Alliance of North Dakota is actively engaging with the governor and the community, and we'll get details from Pastor Joe Larson and Barry Nelson, who both serve on the board of the Interfaith Alliance there. You can hear State of Belief on the radio and get the podcast on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. Every week, I am in conversation with the most fascinating and impactful civic and religious leaders across the nation. Please subscribe today. State of Belief Radio is made possible in great part from the generous support of our listeners. If you have made a donation, thank you for helping get these conversations heard by more people who need them. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can help keep this show on the air is available at stateofbelief.com. And you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join us at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my first guest. Faith leaders and faith communities played an important role in helping women access reproductive health services in the dangerous years before Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. Now that the Supreme Court has reversed Roe, the importance of supporting vulnerable Americans who need abortion services again falls to the community in general and very much to religious advocates and allies. Planned Parenthood, the largest single provider of reproductive health services across the country, actively engages with people of faith. And the new Associate Director of Faith Engagement is Dora Muhammad, who joins me in the studio today. Dora, (laughs) welcome to State of Belief.
1: Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we are delighted that you're here. Now, tell me, this is a fairly new position for you, right?
1: It is. It's new to Planned Parenthood as well. Yeah. Um, I started in February, so technically I'm still onboarding. I tell people, still meeting um, all of our faith partners currently and working on strategic plans. But yes, so the title is Associate Director for Faith Engagement. It's a national position. I'm part of the national staff. And... You you spoke correctly. You know, this is a historic moment that reflects us back to before Roe was ever enacted. Um, but it's a different climate even than before Roe um, because of the ultra-conservative ultra-conserv- movement, really, that has narrowed the faith lens around the issue. So my mandate is to really expand that.
0: It's, it's so important. I'm going to tell a little story. My mother was very involved in um, creating uh, abortion access and contraception access in Wisconsin growing up. She was also the reason we went to church. She was like <laughs> dragging us to church every Sunday. And part of her faith was actually, um, you know, the, the right of people to make decisions about their life, the right of people to make decisions about That's their correct. family, the right of people to make decisions about their own body. And so this, this junction of faith and religion, and and abortion access, and contraception access, because yes. you know they're coming for it next. The,
1: absolutely, they and,
0: are. And so, so tell me about your own background. Like, where do you come from? How did you decide to take on this position?
1: So I have very close friends who said to me that I was created for such a time as this. Mm. Um, and so, similar to you, I think most of us really reflect back if we have had um, strong mothers in our lives. We tend to emulate and really inform us what we do as adults. And so um, my mom, um, you know, was a strong advocate for herself. She's a domestic violence survivor. Mm. So all of my life, um, I've had sort of a centering of women's issues and women's lives. And how do we care for our families? How do we make decisions for our families? And very specifically, I'm a sexual assault survivor who received emergency contraception. Mm. So Planned Parenthood came early on into my life as a teenager, understood the value of um, health care knowledge that was provided by Planned Parenthood in our communities, which is invaluable today today. Um, because there's so much misinformation around issues and so I began to speak out as a teenager I became a a women's advocate at the age of 18 and so all of my life um, bodily autonomy and owning what happens to us as females has centered what I do and regardless of the position I'm in it it, it could be a position to paint a wall (laughs) I'm going to find a way to make a woman's voice be a, a part of that process, mm-hmm. and so um, when the Dobbs decision came uh, uh, down last year, um, it sparked something in me, and I knew that I just needed to do more. There was more in me for me to do, and and then this position was created by Planned Parenthood, and so there was some alignment there, oh. and my family is very interfaith, also, right? And so the, the purpose of Planned Parenthood is really to expand. The, the, the diversity of faith voices around these issues. Because bodily autonomy and freedom of conscience, like you talked about, um, that really is centered in all faiths. Mm. And so we really wanted to try to find a person, and they identified me, thankfully, that to, who would be able to really pull that all together in this historic moment.
0: Well, congratulations. I mean, the way you describe it, you know, we we, we all have jobs, but it's such a blessing when it's a, your job is a vocation. Yes. And and this yes. sounds like it is your vocation 100%. to be right here right now in this moment. And it's
1: know, very life affirming for me.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> and also affirming that, you know, you've been through it mm-hmm. and your family has been through mm-hmm. it. And in some ways using that mm-hmm. how however horrible to inform and make sure that it doesn't happen to other people absolutely and make sure that other people have access to the care and so you're you're not like leaving that behind, actually taking it with you and ensuring that you're standing up for those people today. I just really appreciate what you're doing. And I appreciate so much that, um, you know, your broad lens on this, you know, that it's an interfaith lens. um, And this is just really, this is, uh, you know, life affirming for me to hear you talk about that. Um, We talked earlier about you know, the narrative, you mentioned this about Mm -hmm. like, what the religious narrative around abortion is. And one thing that you're just coming out of the gate (laughs) with this exciting idea of what reclaiming the religious narrative, and you're starting to invite people to imagine what that can look like going forward. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, you know, in the political discourse across the country, it is definitely fueled by very narrow white evangelical lens of faith. And so the narrative is falsely that if you are a believer in God, if you're a person of faith, that abortion is against everything that you would believe in, that it could not possibly be an extension of your faith. And that's just not true. It's not true statistically in terms of surveys. And it's just not true if you actually really delve into the principles of the text, right? If you get off of the... Sort of the binary conversations of the argument of pro-life, pro-choice, which is so antiquated, and really understand the fundamental principle undergirding a person's relationship with their God, their sovereign being, is freedom of conscience. That every single Mm. human being is born and given by their creator that authority and that reason to make decisions for their life.
0: Yeah, that is the uh, ultimate. It's 100%. And, you know, people forget, and it's always worth reminding, that the Southern Baptist Convention supported, did an abacus brief with Roe v. Wade because of their original commitment to a freedom of conscience. That's correct. And not that they were saying we support abortion, but we do support that individuals making decisions about their life in, co- in conversation with their creator, with
1: their creator. And, that's and, where it stays. and
0: their doctor and their community. That is correct. And, and there's no reason that that is less valid of a position today than it was in 1972.
1: And not even less valid. There's no particular reason why a Trump-appointed judge invalidates that.
0: Oh, well, let's talk about that. Let's, you know, <laughs> I mean, because this is, you know, this is, it, 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 now it's getting to the point, you know, it was always like, well, let's states decide.
1: Right, you know that was and, and, and
0: that was just, it, you know, of course that was... Gaslighting at the
1: best. Absolutely. You know, and so
0: like talk about like when you heard that when you heard about that decision
1: mm-hmm.
0: and this this fellow who is very kind of beholden to very kind of right wing evangelical. Yes. I mean, not everybody should have their ability to believe what they believe. Yes. But then making having those <laughs> opinions being so present mm-hmm. in a legal opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes.
0: It's it's very disturbing. So, um, talk about the you know the abortion pill and and how how you personally. I mean, I really like you personally feel the idea that someone would take that away that right away from you.
1: One hundred percent. So, like when the Dobbs decision came across, we knew ex- because of the climate that it happened um, within that it was the first of many. That it was really just the beginning, and that everything that was around the framing of states' decisions. We knew that that was a thin veil and I wasn't even with Planned Parenthood. Right. And so Planned Parenthood has been in this fight for decades. And so coming on board, as we approached the Miffy-Pristone lawsuit, um, it was very clear that and even just this past week, there's been two decisions already within this past week dealing with it and the, through the appeals process. It's a lot of window dressing. It's a lot of masking. It's a lot of deception. Just straight up lying. Um, they're coming for everything. In Iowa, they just recently revoked um, emergency contraception for rape victims. So I'm up in. So come, we know we know what's following, and it's not. Isolated, right? Because all of the states that are working and have thus far banned abortion access or restricted it beyond belief are also the states that are limiting voting rights. They're also states that have high maternal mortality rates for black women. And so the idea that this isn't a vacuum, you will have to have your head buried in the sand oh, to believe I, that. A hundred
0: percent. And I, you know, it is so interesting that you say that around like this is connected. This is a broader connection about you know not only what you can do with your body but what you can believe like what you can put in your mind with the book bands yep. like you know absolutely. It, you know it's 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 all about like control absolutely I mean it is about controlling the population which yes. in some you know some people might come You know, I remember um, when we had a we had a guest, Jeff Charlotte, who said it's not too soon to talk about fascism.
1: Mm.
0: You know, and and I I don't use that word lightly because I believe that America democracy can prevail and will prevail.
1: But the threat to democracy, you know, this idea
0: of like control of all these aspects of our life, what you can think, what you can do with your body, who you can love, who you can be with. It's 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 not disconnect. I appreciate that so much. You made a point earlier that I want to underline, which is that the religious communities support abortion access. 100%,
1: yes. You know,
0: I mean, even Catholic, even like, you know, I mean, this is, this is, there are, there are just like, it is, it is, this is in 60%. So so the idea that there's a religious voice or a religious mandate against abortion it's is false. categorically false.
1: right So what needs to be done is more education within each of the faith communities one so that people do understand, what are the positions that their denominations have taken publicly in writing that's linked to their scripture, that's linked to sort of their sacred text or their governing bodies text? There's many of those. And then within that, really understanding what other faith communities are doing, because, again, each faith community tends to be isolated. And so, again, my vision for my role in this role is to begin to knit together each faith traditions and their positions supporting abortion access, supporting freedom of conscience, because I just think that soon as you begin to see sort of the fabric of faith grow and expand and you begin to see, OK, well, it's not just my faith. Wait, there's black Protestants, too. There's Ju- Reform Judaism. Wait, there's Hindus, I believe. There's Muslims that you begin to say, wait right. a minute, this faith community is broader than my own lived experience. And when you begin to make those connections within the actual grounding of supporting reproductive freedom, reproductive health care access, it is absolutely going to minimize the power that the white evangelical um, voice has right now in this debate.
0: You know what? That's absolutely true. And I appreciate you saying that because actually that's interfaith alliance right there. Yes. <laughs> you know, bring, bringing people together to find, oh, wow, we, we're, we don't have to believe the same thing to show up for one another, to recognize that the human issues that you are dealing with, we want to be there for you and we want you to be there for us. And so I, I invite all of those who are interested to reach out to Dora because the the benefit of this work that you're doing is is not only and primarily the importance of safeguarding reproductive freedom and, and access, um, but also to know one another. Yes. This is an opportunity to, 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 to meet your neighbor of a different faith tradition and say, okay, we're going to show up for one another. We, you know, we, we have many people um, in our networks who, who, out of their commitment as a Muslim, as a Jew, as a christian as a hindu are saying you don't represent us and uh, you know that that the, the, the anti choice movement does not represent us and we're going to stand up as religious people and say there's another way and we yes. i appreciate you you bring us together in, in this way if you had one message to america right now <laughs> I, I want you to speak to us, Dora. Uh speak to us, Dora Muhammad, and let us know. Let America know. What do you want to say? What do you want people to 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 take in and know?
1: That's a that's a heavy question. Again, I think for me, living in this moment, um, more than anything, the, the time is over um for government and Um, minority um, voices in terms of sort of the population demographic, right? To think that the tactics and the methods and the plan books to keep power is going to stand today. I think this country has a very serious reckoning to do with its policies and practices against black and brown bodies. And this moment collides with that. It collides with all of the racial um, equity issues, all of the gender justice issues and people of faith are more tuned right now. I believe because of so many threats that have been relentless and Everything is done sort of in a cascade of darkness. And if there's anything about faith, it's about light, right? It's about wisdom and knowledge and and really understanding. And so I I, I do believe that this is a moment that people of faith are going to be galvanized to stand up for our rights, for the protection of our rights, and for the human dignity of every human being, Every human being deserves that, and people of faith tend to be the light bearer of that message.
0: Dora Muhammad, how can people get in touch with you? What is the best way you would like, or a URL that they can learn more? Or
1: Yes. So currently one of the things that we've launched in this moment to reclaim the faith narrative is a national value statement. Um, and so we're asking people of faith, faith leaders, faith leaders, did Not have to be ordained, It'd be clergy, laity, community leader, a faith organizer to sign on, and it's based around four principles of values that people of faith uphold freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, right to privacy, and care for our communities. And that is sort of the central part, the heart of this fight to reclaim the faith narrative. And that can be found online at tinyurl.com forward slash. Faith Values PPFa Sign On. So that's the one way one to join in and connect, as you as you talked about earlier, really pulling I together. I signed
0: it, by the way, people. <laughs> so join me in signing that document.
1: <laughs> Thank you, and and share it, right? Um, and then the other place, again, just to sort of repositories of information to stay updated with our work um, in this fight. Um, there is a central website bansoff.org. Which is part of um, Planned Parenthood's campaign, bans off our bodies, and so we're continuing to do that um, work. We're one week after the decision being made in, in the Texas court, and there's been two um, appeals processes. Decisions has already made this week, and so there's a continuing fight to track this, to stay involved. Um, We immediately launched a rapid response for a weekend of action, but beyond that, sort of to build on that momentum, um, absolutely everyone, anyone wants to be involved in our faith engagement work can absolutely email me at dora.muhammad at ppfa.org.
0: Dora Muhammad is Associate Director for Faith Engagement at Planned Parenthood. Dora, thank you so much for coming in to be with us on State of Belief and for all your wisdom and power and, and prophetic voice in this moment. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Up next, battling for LGBTQI dignity in North Dakota in the name of faith. Pastor Joe Larson and Barry Nelson from Interfaith Alliance of North Dakota will be joining me after the break. If you miss any part of today's program, you can hear full episodes of State of Belief anytime on our website. You'll also find links to the topics we discussed this week, extended interviews and transcripts, and an archive of past shows, all at stateofbelief.com. You're listening to State of Belief Radio, where religion and democracy meet. Recent state government crusades against LGBTQI citizens have made headlines and shocked Americans in Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Missouri, and others. While the terrible legislation in North Dakota may be getting less attention, that doesn't reduce the threats to the state's residents that it presents. Interfaith Alliance of North Dakota is engaged in urgent organizing to raise up the rights and dignity of LGBTQI persons in the face of these attacks. And I'm glad to have two board members with us today. Reverend Joe Larson is the first openly gay ELCA pastor called by a Lutheran congregation in the state of North Dakota. Barry Nelson is Interim Executive Director of the North Dakota Human Rights Coalition. Joe, Barry, welcome to State of Belief Radio. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here with you. Good to be here. So there is a national epidemic of state-level anti-LGBTQI laws that are something like 400 bills across the country. How is this happening and manifesting itself in North Dakota?
2: In a way, we were slow to the game um, in the sense that this has been a building process over the last five to eight years. Uh, we saw our first um, anti-LGBT bill surface in 2021. Um, and then this year, we've seen we had 21 bills introduced targeting um, this tiny population, this tiny vulnerable population in the state. Um, so, yes, we have joined we have joined these uh this national movement, if you want to call it that, that is truly has found a new, I call it the, the new whipping person um, to rile the base of, of of individuals.
0: I think that's exactly right. And we're, you know, we are seeing that this is a convenient group to kind of target in order for the base to feel like, you know, righteous and um and so it's it really is like the most vulnerable. What are the bills specifically trying to accomplish in North Dakota?
2: I, I refer to all of them. I would say every single one of those 21 bills are a, a solution in search of a problem. Um, the, the proponents have never once identified what the problems are. I mean, they always talk in generic terms of they're, they're designed to protect the innocence of children, um, to um, uphold, I mean, it, the amount of uh, religious motivation that's being used um, in promoting these bills, um, as a person of faith, I find it extremely disingenuous um, and misguided. Um, uh, so it, it is really, um, and this is what's so disturbing is that we, we bring facts to the conversation, they bring ideology. Um, and I think the, the one thing that's a, a real concern is we know these bills are not being written in North Dakota um, because they are showing up in 30 state legislators. And so there is this, this large bill mill out there that are producing all of these and and local legislators can just pull them off the shelf and introduce them in North Dakota. And we find that when, when asked questions beyond the just original presentation, most of the um, proponents can't go deep into their own conversation. Um, they cannot uh, support the reason why they are uh, having these kinds of bills. And I will just broadly uh, interpret them that it's everything from the um, um, banning medical care for trans youth um, to um, eliminating the non-binary and trans data collection as a, as a category, uh, to, uh, outlawing the use of pronouns in schools, um, to not allowing, uh, trans youth to participate in athletics. Um, um, it just, it just runs, runs the gamut.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I just think what you said is so important for us to, to hear, which is these are not homegrown bills that are coming out of a particular concern or problem. These are ideologically sparked bills that are being distributed in a mass effort that is coordinated across the country. And I just think that that's super important when we talk about states' rights and things like that. And yet you have you have like this coordinated group, which is like infiltrating all the states with, as you say, solutions to problems that don't exist in that state. And so I just think that that's like super important to hear as we think about what we can do to organize against this kind of uh, coordinated attack. We need to be as wise as serpents, gentle as doves, but wise as serpents as we respond because they are being, it's a completely coordinated attack. Reverend Joe, talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you feel religion is being, weaponized, used in these particular bills and how you, as an openly gay pastor and someone who has a personal stake in this, how do you, how you, how it makes you feel? Well, you know, it's interesting because
3: there's obviously a religious agenda behind all these bills, but they tend not to be open about that. Um, They demonize trans people and LGBTQ people. Um, I mean, they've been using words like um, purians and "half-naked perverts" openly in these discussions to talk about us. I'm an openly gay pastor, um, but when you—I was at one hearing, I was testifying about one bill, and I was giving testimony, and I was—I was trying to give a religious perspective because very few of the people who were testifying had addressed a faith perspective. Um, and, it, you know, it's just out there, right? It, we all know that a lot of these people are conservative Christians and their real intent is to try to push their conservative agenda on the rest of us in terms of um, society. And so I was approaching it from the perspective of Jesus and Christian faith and saying that when Jesus was in the world, he, he supported people who were marginalized in our society. And I was kind of going along in that tangent and one of the senators interrupted me and said, "Are you going to get your point?" Mm. <laughs> you know? And mm. the other, another senator, thankfully in the hearing, said, "He's getting there. Give him a chance." And my point was that Jesus calls us to care for those who are most needy in our society. And she was she got very annoyed with me that I was using the Bible in that way against them. Right? Because That's yeah. what the Bible says. The Bible I mean, tells us it's Christians clear, yeah, to that we're, we're not supposed to be abusing, we're not supposed to be judging. Jesus said, Do not judge, we're not supposed to be, um, excluding people. Jesus said, Go after the lost sheep. Um, Jesus embraced those in society who were, um, rejected, lepers and prostitutes, right? Um, wow and here we are again repeating the same old it's the same old story right where we're choosing to the church is choosing to exclude people who are easy to exclude trans people drag queens um queers and um and and people are just going along with it christians are going along with it just like it was easy during nazi germany to go along with the uh, targeting Jewish people right because it yeah. doesn't affect me i'm not part of that group
0: well um, it is you know it is very disturbing and also i would say out of step with what religious people actually believe which if you look at statistics Christian, almost every religious group in America supports the rights of trans people, of 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 LGBTQ people to live full lives, to love who they want to love, to be who they want to be. It is like it's not even close. And so the the idea that um, that they can say you know this is based on you know cons- any sort of religious values, it's very as you said, it's a narrow slice of religious values. And it's extremely disconcerting for them to try to own the religious narrative when they have no mandate to do that. It's really, you know, and and so, so. but what's so gratifying for, for me, you know, it's easy for me to say that in New York City, you all are in the middle of it. And what I just want to is take a moment to say, thank you for the work that you're doing, which cannot be easy. You're standing up in a state that one is very has disparate populations so it's you know you you need to the kind of organizing you're doing and yet you are doing it and interfaith alliance of north dakota and all of you in your individual lives are coming together and responding so tell us a little bit about the way you you talked about um, testifying in uh, in the legislature but legislature but what are what are ways that you all are responding in this moment
3: Well, you know, we're certainly, I think what's been good is that it's brought people like Barry, his organization, the Human Rights Coalition, um, Ross's organization, the North Dakota Interfaith Alliance, um, churches like St. Mark's and other churches to work together to say that that there are people who care um, about trans people. Um, We are, unfortunately, a minority voice in this state. Um, that's not to say that it's a. It's a, It's in terms of the whole population that we're a minority, but it is a very red state. You know, I, I came here seven years ago. Um, I'm one of those people. I went to seminary when I was young um, in Minneapolis and realized I was gay and decided not to get ordained. I finished seminary, but back then the Lutheran church didn't ordain people like me. And then The Lutheran Church had a vote in 2009 and I felt the call back. And so I first got ordained in 2013, seven years ago, and came to North Dakota for my first call. And I've, you know, I've seen the change in seven years that it's become much more conservative here in the seven years that I've been here, which is disheartening, very disheartening. Um, And yet there are people who really do care. And that's what you have to focus on. Um, And that we and that the state needs people like me and Barry and people who still believe um, because there are young people, especially trans people, young queer people um, who are in little towns, who are in churches and other faith communities who need to know that there are people of faith, that there are clergy who, who don't believe what these other people believe, that they believe that God loves them. And that God created them the way they are and that there are places where they can be accepted and live and find a better place to grow up and, and find a place to live and find people who love them. It may not be here.
0: You know, they may. Well, which the is which is, is very may... sad, you know, I yeah, mean, which is very is. sad that that um, what 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 North Dakota is creating now and I'm from Wisconsin. So like. I understand about states that are, you know, Wisconsin goes back and forth. But what North Dakota unfortunately seems kind of hell bent on, literally, is to create an environment where young queer people or young people who are different at all don't feel like they can stay and make a life in North Dakota. And that is just that, that is a terrible thing for the future of North Dakota. Barry, uh, tell me a little bit about like some of what you've been doing. I know that there's a letter to the governor um, that you all are, are putting together and you've done some campaigns with uh, media. Tell, tell us a little bit about what are some of the
2: some of the things that you all have been up to. To, to see a glimmer of hope in all this darkness. Um, I, I look to the fact that the response to a call to galvanize around these issues have, is being responded to. Um, certainly within, um, I have not seen as much outpouring from within the faith communities as I have this session. Um, we talk about the the letter to um, the editor that was signed on by uh, seventy over 70 uh, faith leaders earlier in the session, um, a letter that just went to the governor's office now that had a large number of uh, signatories to it. Um, we have our town halls that we've been holding throughout the session here that's gotten people from the pews, that was really precipitated by uh, a resolution passed in the senate assembly this past summer uh, affirming support of members of the lgbt community and really wanting to take that resolution into the pews to act make it an action item so i'm finding that to be hopeful and that's just one of the community that that has has developed um, i may be a pollyanna um, i somehow believe that what this really vocal vocal I'm gonna call them hateful groups in, in the legislature, uh, does not represent the true values of the average person in North Dakota. Now, there's a disconnect because somebody is electing these people. And so th- there is something that we, we, we need to really be addressing. But I, I think that we need to perceive that we're in this for the long haul, that whatever dark slide we're on right now that Pastor Joel talks about um, is reversible. Um, and um, I think when people start realizing that this this is splitting up families, that it's that it is causing our own young people to have to leave the state in order to live their life authentically, that that it, at some point, uh, people will need to be uh, truly addressing this. I honestly believe that there, that some of many of these leaders in the legislature, that part of their intent is to try to put, the LGBT community back under a rock that they perceive them to be for many years or to leave the state, um, even though that means driving out incredible talent and, and incredible um, uh, people with, with value to the state. And and not only them, but other young people. We know the generation coming up that this issue is not as important to them. And, and those people will take a look at this and say, I don't want to live in a place that is that is really um, castigating my friends and people that I find to be an important part of my life. So it, it's going to have a, an immense ripple effect. If yeah, allowed, I I, I think hated.
0: when you say, when you say like it isn't important to them, it's this, it's not up for debate. It's really, you know I mean? Like, you know, my nieces and nephews, they just look around and say like, what is What are you talking about? Like, you know, they're, they just, this for them is part of what it means to be a, 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 a person in America is that you have gay friends, you have non-binary, all of it. It's just, it just is. And then you're like, well, let's let's have a life and let's do what we want to do, and that's part of their lives. But they're not like, they're they're just not even. Re- they're not even. They're just like, forget it. You know, if you can't deal with that, then I don't. You're not. A, you know. So I I think that's very. I would love just to take a moment for you to talk about, like, what is North Dakota values? I do think that each state has an idea of what the values are that are the best of that state's tradition. And I do think that there's a a real positive kind of place of North Dakota values. But how would you describe those values in a way that would be an invitation for young people uh, and young queer people to stay and fight and realize those values. What, what are the words that describe North Dakota in its best way? Uh, Barry, well, you, you, you've talked about
2: North Dakota values. What, what are those values? I, I, I really, you know, the first one that comes to mind is that we, we are hardworking, that, that we're hardworking um, stock of individuals. You have to be, uh, you have to be, have this tough veneer to live in this climate and in in this in this environment. Uh, you know, there there is all this discussion about North Dakota nice, which can be spun in many different ways, but the idea of niceness in the best sense of the word is that if if somebody is in trouble, other people will rally to to their to their assistance. And and there's lots of examples about that of, of community really rising to the best of, of their um, situation. We're we're talking flood again and, and we I think we were a very proud of how a community comes together when there is a large issue at stake here, like a like a flood or a snowstorm or whatever. Um so I mean I think those those are two items that, that really rise to the top of my list.
0: Yeah. Hard working, nice, community oriented. I mean these are places that people should want to go and uh and 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 it's really like the the future i it does feel like the future of the state has to be you know thought about but i'm very i i'm a little pollyanna i've been accused of it too and uh and and i try to i i i tend to find the places where the good things are happening and say like how do we do more of that pastor joe i'm just wondering as far as like you you know, you're an openly gay pastor, and then you see like 70 other pastors or faith leaders of different kinds joining together. I think that has to make you feel pretty good.
3: It does. And I was actually pleasingly surprised, um, because I hadn't seen a lot of involvement during the legislative session. Um, So I was just, and I was especially delighted that our two Lutheran bishops, you know, we have two synods, Eastern North Dakota and Western North Dakota both signed the letter um, because you know, and for pastors in this area to put their their name down, um, for some of them they're putting their their call on the line um, for them um, because they might go back to their parish and really get a lot of flack, um, and and I know even my my own bishop, um, Tessa. Um, moon lisa's and she got some complaints about it so no it's it, it was wonderful
0: um yeah uh, and and i do like i want to just stay with the you know uh lutheranism uh, and that area of the country there's like the lutherans have a lot of you know uh, traditional um kind of uh influence or or if not influence like kind of there's a there is a sort of um, station or you know prestige that's given to Lutheranism because it's been there a long time. So for the bishops to say this is not who we are, actually, should be a huge story. And uh, and, and it's it's just very gratifying to hear that. So I mean, I, I, I think that that's wonderful. It is, and it goes to our theology too that we're all saved by
3: grace. So again, it shouldn't matter who you are or what you do. We're all part of God's family. Right. Mm. That's that speaks to what Lutherans are all
0: about. Mm-hmm. And and was that part of a letter to the editor? Was that was that when they showed up or what is the what is the next step with that, like 70 member faith coalition? Where, what can they what can they do? How can they show up in a way that will impact the conversation and reclaim the religious the religion narrative around these issues in North Dakota?
3: Well, we, we're hoping that they continue to be involved. We, we've we had a series of town hall meetings that Barry's organization and a couple other organizations, the Synod has been involved with that we've held at a local church. And we're hoping to continue those beyond the legislative session. Um, and because once the session is over, we're going to be stuck with these laws, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we help people, especially the trans individuals and their families deal and the people you know like the teachers in the schools if the, the law about pronouns the teachers are going to be on the front lines and school administrators if it's illegal to use pronouns for specific students what are they going to do how are they going to handle that are they going to put their job on the line um and take the side of the student
0: we've been talking about the big like the big kind of battle at the at the state legislature and and at religious leaders but really this is about people and often young people and their lives i wonder if there's any any individuals not giving names but individuals who's who you think about when you when you um, do this work that is very hard work um, but who who you in, Whose name you're kind of saying? I have to do this because this person is counting on me to help them. Barry, do you have any? Does anybody come to mind when you uh, think about uh, this work?
2: Absolutely, I, I think of this um, this extremely passionate and loving mother and her trans son, who have been very public. They have testified before the legislature. They have showed up for for interviews and and have just been very 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 passionate and the, and their stories are so incredible i mean that this the story of the of of her son is that that they were depressed they were suicidal they were they were going on a, a a rapid trajectory downward and then when they discovered what it was what was at the root of it and were able to get medical and and other supportive um assistance and now this this young man is heading off to college with a full scholarship and is fully engaged in school and community and, and is a vibrant, happy young person. Um, yeah, that, to me, that's that's the epitome of who who we are who we are fighting for. And, and I would add, I think a really important part of us going forward, and particularly the faith community. And part of this is undoing history. That many people within the LGBT community historically have felt rejected, rebuffed, and minimized by the church. They have been duly harmed, intentionally, unintentionally, whatever. So there's this in really important um, function going forward that we embrace and support, and and the, this community as part of our larger community and as part of our as part of our faith community. It's essential. We have to undo hundreds of years, and um we need to and it's more important now because they are being so intentionally targeted that they they need to have people that they don't know reach out to them and say, "You are important, you are loved, and you are valued
0: mm. I, I I just also want to kind of underline this idea of family values and parental rights are words that are thrown around a lot. And yet when you pass legislation that restricts a parent from providing medical care to their child that is life-giving and creates and, and prohibits a family from moving forward with their own decisions with their doctor and with whatever faith leader or no faith leader that they want. If you're restricting that, don't ever talk to me about family values again. Don't talk to me about fa- uh, parental rights, because everything you are doing is restricting those and, uh, and, and putting up barriers with the state, with the power of the state. I mean, it's, so, it's like an absolute upside down world. Where the where the 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 same people was like, oh state overreach state overreach and then they're like it's the most invasive sort of state laws that you could possibly imagine. I just I think it's just I think it's so important and you know we we had we had a, a wonderful Jewish leader Maharat in Missouri um, Rory who her son is trans and she's having the exact same fight and the Missouri legislator is just gonna I mean. What are these families supposed to do? Just like watch their kids spiral back into depression, back into suicidal thoughts? These ki- these parents aren't going to do that. They shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a terrible catch-22. You're driving people out of your state. You're creating it impossible for people to thrive in your state. They should be ashamed of themselves. Um, sorry, that was just a little rant. But I mean, you that story. I was very moved by your story. I mean, it's really so. I mean, I, but but I do think like this is an opportunity for faith leaders, religious leaders to practice what they preach, get out there and say, no, this isn't the North Dakota we want. This isn't the Missouri we want. This isn't the America that we want. And so I just, you know, I really applaud all of you. What's next? And and is there are there ways that people listeners from across the country can be supportive of your work? What are what are ways that people can, you know, maybe it's about uh showing up in their own community, whatever is going on there, but what's next for you all and and what how can we be supportive? Well, you
3: know, I'm a pastor, so I believe churches can be a sanctuary and a place where people can find a safe place for their families and children to feel welcome. And I know at St. Mark's, that's, we had four or five families in our little church. We had 100 members that had children who were trans or non-binary or LGBTQ. That's, it's just a huge trend. There's so many young people who are dealing with this. And some came, we we had um, one family that was Catholic that came because the mother wanted her son to be in a place a faith community where he was hearing positive
0: messages about being trans. Right.
3: Mm. Um, let, so me if we say, create... let me just say. just
0: say. We we hear a lot from from uh, churches about oh declining membership, declining membership. Well, maybe you should open your doors a little wider. <laughs> and see who might want to come in because they are looking for sanctuary, and it's not that hard,
3: you know. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't have to preach about it every Sunday. You just say positive things,
0: right? Right. Yeah. Make it make it clear that everyone's welcome, mm-hmm. and then people can just come as they are and hear right. hear, hear You know, whether it's a Jewish uh, temple or or whatever, meet other families. Yeah, yeah. So wow, yeah. Yeah, and and so what is next for North Dakota? And, and I, I I think I think one of you said it, this is a long term um, uh, struggle. W- what's next for North Dakota as far as this work? Uh, and then I know this is connected to a lot of other issues. My guess is um, that if you're dealing with this, you're probably also dealing with book banning and all this other kind of stuff, which is kind of part of the same. A nefarious uh strategy which is like we can't let people do what they want with their bodies we can't let people learn what they want with their minds and the and then you know the spirit will suffer as well you know it's just really crazy so i'm just wondering how do you how do you view the the the, the path forward
2: for north dakota to add to what you just said, Paul, about the, um, the the nefarious behind all. I mean, so much about these bills also is, is they're criminalizing. They're criminalizing librarians. They're criminalizing medical providers. They're criminalizing teachers. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the sense that if people violated these laws, they would be criminals. And it, which is the most incredible undemocratic, un-American thing you can can think about. But in terms of going forward, Um, I agree. I think that we need to continue to build this movement. Uh, We need to refute the idea that somehow talking about the gospel and relating to people who are on the margins is somehow political. And, you know, the old separation of church and state. I think that's our biggest barrier we've encountered when talking to people in the pews is they say, oh, that's political. Um, You know, I, I go to church for church stuff. And the the political should stay out of sight of that. And and this is if there is anything. Jesus was a if you want to look at it that way. Jesus was very political. Um, and so we need we need to ref, we, we need to push back on that narrative and that because you're a good Christian, you don't speak to uh, issues that are affecting people in our state.
0: Well, of of course, the the people who ignore that completely are the Christians, uh, the, who self identified Christians on the other side, who are using rationale, that, you know, to uh, to overreach. And I would say, like, you know, showing up, you know, showing up for people in your pews, showing up for decency, doesn't have to be a religion thing. It can be a broader than that, but but definitely, like, you, you know you know we need to we need to be showing up as clearly as the people who um who are using religion to to criminalize as you say and instead show up to to liberate and free people to be who they are and and so do you, are there any actions coming up that you want to uh the our listeners to hear about any actions any 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 new um organizing that that uh what you can give us a glimpse into
2: well we're at the point we're we're waiting on the governor there there's eight bills on the governor's desk right now that he can either veto or sign into law um eight specifically anti-trans bills um we're we're concerned particularly about 1254 which would ban the health care for trans youth Um, And so we are encouraging people in North Dakota to contact um, the governor's office and encourage him to veto House Bill 1254. He has vetoed the pronoun use bill and the uh, one of the chambers uh, sustained the veto. So we were successful in in something. And I I would say that, you know, we've had 21 bills. And the fact that there are 11 bills one way or another have been um, eliminated from the process that's some success that we need to celebrate um, we need to sub- celebrate each other so going forward we need to recognize that the, our real work begins with the legislature uh, convene ends it's, its work and we need to be building we know these the bills that were unsuccessful will be back next time so we we really need to begin working in our own communities and our own faith communities this has got a national reach, so I think everybody needs to be turning back to their, their communities of faith and say, what are we doing about this? What are we doing to, about keeping our doors open? How are we surrounding members of the LGBTQ and particularly the trans community with, with the support that they so particularly need now? And how do the faith communities rise to the top of the conversation? And And it, it's our narrative that's being discussed here, not, not the people that are using I it the people that are using their religion as a cudgel. Um, That cannot be the the group that that takes the, the, the narrative, the faith narrative.
0: Yeah. My phrase there is religion should be a bridge, not a bludgeon. And I think that that's exactly what you're talking about. I think that's so important. I do want to mention one thing that's coming up, and this is a nationwide effort that uh, Interfaith Alliance will be uh, at the national level and, and hopefully all of our state affiliates and much many more is the in June we're going to be really doing a Faith for Pride Nationwide effort, looking closely at you know to how to fight back against the uh, anti-trans bills as well as wider anti-LGBTQ bills. So stay tuned for that because we're part of a, a national coalition. Interfaith Alliance is working with other faith groups to organize a nationwide faith for pride that really talks about the religion exactly as you say, showing up and fulfilling our role in fighting back against these very terrible bills. Pastor Joe, any, any final good news for us and some sort of spiritual uh, sending forth, uh, I guess, benediction, maybe, on all of the work that you are all doing and that people across the country are doing to fight back against these bills? Well, when I was at St. Mark's, we worshiped at a synagogue, and the
3: verse that they had hanging at the front of the synagogue was Micah six eight, which is one of my, a lot of us in Social Justice loves this verse, which says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And I think that's the verse for today, that God calls us to do justice. And we also need to you know, teach kindness. It's, so, it's such a simple message. And I really believe that that's what Jesus calls Christians to do, not the things that are happening in terms of all the, these bills against trans and queer people. We're called to love one another.
0: Pastor Joe Larson and Barry Nelson, thank you so much for joining us on State of Belief Radio. I really appreciate your time.
3: It's been great to be with you. Thanks for
0: inviting us.
2: It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Great conversation.
0: And with that, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's show. We need your help keeping State of Belief on the air. I hope you'll consider being a partner in this crucial work by making a financial contribution today. Information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. And you can also be a part of making sure informative and encouraging voices like these are heard by sharing this program with family and friends. Let's get more people listening and more people taking part in these conversations both on and off the air. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our weekly State of Belief podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at State of Belief and share State of Belief with the people in your life. State of Belief is produced by Ray Kerstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Become a member today at interfaithalliance.org and be sure to join us next week. I can't wait. Until then, I'm Paul Rauschenbusch on State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet.